pick up your sword this week by using and seeking for more gifts of the Spirit? We are at the point in our battle analogy where the battle has begun. We have prepared and armed ourselves defensively, and last week we learned how to pick up our one offensive weapon against Satan, the sword of the Spirit. We learned that we need each other because we have all been blessed with different spiritual gifts or different types of weapons or tools, if you will. The weapons or tools, even though they may look different, are all just different manifestations of the Spirit. The story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe comes to mind. When Father Christmas comes, he offers each of the children a gift. The gifts are all different and are meant to help them in the upcoming battle against the white witch. Peter is given a sword and shield, Susan a bow, an arrow, and a horn, and Lucy a healing cordial and small dagger. They each were going to have differing roles in the battle, but working together, they would be much more effective and complete in their abilities and strength. The gifts all came from the same source, but they looked different and their functions were different. It's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. We each have been given gifts of differing functions to help us in the battle against Satan. To have visions or dreams looks very different from the gift of healing, or the gift of discernment looks different from the gift of tongues, or the gift of faith looks different from the gift to teach wisdom. They all come from God through the Holy Ghost and are all meant to be a blessing and strength to us when we work together. But just because we have been given one or two tools or gifts doesn't mean that we can't petition the Lord, our captain, to be given additional tools. What a strength we would be in our service if we had a bow slung across our back, a sword in our hilt, a healing cordial in our pouch, and a small dagger and horn tucked in our belt. The caveat with these gifts, though, is that they are given to us. We can ask the Lord for them. And if he feels that we should have them, he can grant them to us. It is true that we have to be trained in the use of them by practicing with them, but one doesn't, of their own sheer determination or practice, acquire the gift of discernment or healing or wisdom or prophecy or miracles, and the list goes on. Just like a wise parent considers if their youth has demonstrated their maturity to be given a pocket knife or a cell phone, our Heavenly Father is looking to see if we are ready and worthy for the gift we are asking for. So how do we qualify for these gifts? Moroni chapter 8 verses 25 through 26 gives us some insight. Quote, and the first fruits of repentance is baptism. And baptism cometh by faith unto the fulfilling the commandments. And the fulfilling the commandments bringeth remission of sins. And the remission of sins bringeth meekness and lowliness of heart. And because of meekness and lowliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love, which love endureth by diligence unto prayer until the end shall come, when all the saints shall dwell with God. Our obedience to the commandments and our cleanliness before God through repentance brings about the change in our heart necessary for us to be meek and lowly, being spiritually mature, ready, and worthy for the visitation of the Holy Ghost and the gifts he brings. Moroni chapter 10 verses 4 through 5 shows the steps it took to petition the Lord 
for the gift of knowledge or truth. It can also be applied to the effort we must go through to receive other gifts of the Spirit. Quote, and when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. Close quote. We must diligently pray or petition our captain with sincerity, real intent, and faith to receive the gifts of the Spirit. We must long for it with all our heart, not be like a child who wishes for something one minute and then forgets about it later. Doctrine and Covenants, section 46, verse 9, also demonstrates how not only do we need to be obediently keeping the commandments, but our heart and intentions need to be righteous. Quote, For verily I say unto you, they, referring to the gifts of the Spirit, they are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, and him that seeketh so to do, that all may be benefited that seek or that ask of me, that ask and not for a sign that they may consume it upon their lusts. Is our eye single to God's glory, or are we wanting a gift out of pride? To look good in the eyes of men? Is it just something that seems cool or novel to us and we just want to see that gift performed? If so, our heart or intentions are not in the right place. Our desires need to be to God's glory and our desire to serve Him. Notice how the Lord included the phrase, and Him that seeketh so to do. We don't have to be perfect, but we are doing our best and the desires of our heart are right. Just like as a parent, we want to know what our child is going to use that pocket knife or cell phone for. Heavenly Father wants to know what we will do with a gift. If he entrusts that gift to us, will we use it for good? Or will we give in to the temptations of Satan to use it wrong? The story of Simon is a good example of one who sought for a gift, but who did not have the spiritual maturity yet. His intentions and heart were not in the right place. So let's discuss that story right now. Thanks for joining me, you guys. I was wondering if you'd be willing to help me look for the lies and counterfeits that Satan is giving to Simon. So I'm going to read the story to you. It's in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 21. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, 
only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. So from that story, what are some of the counterfeits and lies you saw Satan telling Simon? That money can buy everything. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Satan loves to tell us you can buy anything for money. That's not the truth. It's not the truth, right? That's a lie. So what are some other lies and, and counterfeits that you saw? Well, he was, he was also helping them to think that he could make money from it in the end. You know, he was wanting to give up money as like an investment probably to get fame or you know, get more money from it. Yeah, he still had that mentality that... He's in this to have somebody provide for him, to, to give him money for his services, if you will. Isn't that one of Satan's counterfeits? Isn't he such a businessman? Yeah. I think I'm the god of this earth, and I'm going to take all the treasures of this earth and convince you that you have to buy them. What's Heavenly Father's? What's the truth? What's Heavenly Father's doctrine? That it's all heavenly fathers to begin with and so we should be generous and share yeah it's all his really and we should be super thankful for it and give generously because it's his in the first place and if somebody doesn't have what would make heavenly father happier than anything is for us to share with them it's really heavenly fathers anyway what are some of the counterfeits you saw here's simon was doing sorcery and had all these people believing in him. We just talked about last week the fact that there are gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, that come from the Holy Ghost, and some of those are doing miracles, prophesying. And that's what sorcery is, is this, you know, you think of a, a magician able to do these marvelous works, or they may be have visions or or different things that obviously the people were totally believing that he had the power of God. He had the gifts of God, right? So how can we discern the Lord's true gifts from Satan's counterfeits? There's a saying called, by their fruits ye shall know them. And if this person is wanting money or fame then they're probably not doing it for the right reasons and they're probably not the lord's chosen people yeah the other thing going along with what cage said about their fruits is looking at if five ten years down the road are they back in the same trap that they were before he helped them Whatever it was, whatever they're suffering from, if he solves it and 
you know, are they back in the same trap a year or two later? He didn't really solve it. He just fixed maybe a Band-Aid or, a, or kind of glossed over it. And I think the real problem, mm -hmm. you know, that's just my yeah. thought. Yeah, counterfeit is, it's not the true deal. It's not going to be the true healing. It's not going to be the true visions or whatever, you know, the, the gift is. So we can discern through looking at their actions. Are they trying to build themselves up? Pride, collect money, you know, Satan's philosophies. Or are they pointing us to God? Their eye is single to the glory of God. They, When they do miracles, they tell them to believe on Christ. You saw that with the apostles, that they directed everybody to the Savior. It's like the Savior is the one that had the power. I'm just his instrument. And so they are humble versus a counterfeit person doing these gifts would be prideful. They'd be lauding themselves. Yeah. I think how it makes you feel is also a good indicator because everything that comes from God will direct you towards the Savior and you'll feel his love and it'll make you feel good. Yeah, yeah thank you so much. It's, it's exactly why the prophet's been encouraging us to be receptive to the Spirit and be able to hear His voice because the Spirit gives us the gift of discernment if we're seeking for it, that we can discern the true from the false. So the Spirit will help us. I was wondering if you wanted to read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I don't know if I quoted correctly, but, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, and love unfeigned. I think that's it. Yeah, exactly. What might be some of the feelings that we would have if Satan was doing those, you think? Maybe greed or pride. Yeah. I wonder too if there'd be a sense of almost fear or yeah, something fear, too. Yeah. Like if I don't do this what he what he told me to do, then I'm gonna suffer. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Or if you can see that he's totally enticing you to fear, too. Mm -hmm. Like pointing out, to intimidate oh, yeah. you. If, if you don't do this, then I'm going to... Then see my power, what I yeah. can do to you. Or, yeah, or if, I'm, if you don't do this today, I'm going to be gone and you'll be lost. Missed out. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of threatening kind of thing. If you don't do that, then I'm going to strike you down. Yeah. Yeah. Leave you your own vice, your own problems mm -hmm. that's interesting it makes me think about how essentially there's we have two people we have heavenly father and satan and they're both enticing us to serve them and so they're both enticing mm -hmm. us to serve them and the one is offering us gifts for free and the other one's saying i want you to serve me but there's a price i think I think that's a counterfeit too to say they're enticing. Mm -hmm. I think there's there's a difference because there's invite and there's entice, and and I think Christ and our Heavenly Father invite. They don't entice, and Satan entices. 
because yeah. there isn't has another way anyway. Yeah, he uses lots of flatteries and lots of briberies. And I mean, you saw how it was with Cain, and he flattered him and he told him all these lies and saying, "Okay, if you kill your brother Abel, you're going to have all his flocks. You'll get all this money. You'll, you know, be wealthy." But here, Heavenly Father is saying, "All the earth is yours. There's enough and to spare." And then Satan takes it the opposite that there's a shortage. You must take his in order to have enough. So we have been focusing on the spiritual gifts, and that's what Simon was seeing and wanting, along with the power of the priesthood, which he was seeing. They go hand in hand. But we could also very easily talk about the temporal gifts. So the ones that are given to us from a loving Heavenly Father to provide for our physical needs. Um, One of Satan's tactics is to get us to seek after these temporal gifts instead of these spiritual gifts and it you know it's true that our physical needs need to be taken care of um because if you are worried for your life or starving you're not going to want to go seeking after these spiritual gifts i mean you saw the savior he fed the five thousand before he sat down to teach them he took care of their physical needs I think another one of Satan's counterfeits to get us caught up in seeking for these temporal gifts, the gifts of things that you can't take with you. So I would like to read one more story with you guys. And it's called, it's, it's one of the Savior's parables about the king giving this wedding feast for his son. And I think it demonstrates perfectly how Satan throws this counterfeit in there that we are enticed to seek after these temporal gifts, these clothes, food, you know, the worldly things, instead of these spiritual gifts. Luke 14, um, 16 through 24 is, is one version of the story. It says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste my supper. Okay, and then I'd like to share with you the other account of it found in Matthew because it adds even greater depth. You think about when somebody tells a story and two people have read the same story and one has this different eyes that they see it in. So Matthew chapter 22 recounts it like this. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, 
tell them what you're bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, so, if Heavenly Father is the king, and the Savior is the son that's getting married, uh, and the bride would be the church, so what is this great supper? How is it like a feast? The last days, maybe? Okay. That final day when the Savior comes down and he accepts Zion, the church that's been prepared like a bride, made herself ready and worthy and beautiful. Okay, so what what are some things we can learn from this story? Who were the people that he invited but didn't want to come. Probably members of the church, maybe? Yeah. The Jews? Jews? Just people that didn't accept the gospel, even though they are one of the first ones to hear it. People that didn't accept. You even saw those servants that were even maimed and killed. What type of situation would that look like? The wicked killing the righteous. Yeah, killing the saints, killing the prophets, his servants of his servants are the prophets. So there's some that were even invited but rejected so much they killed the prophets. And then what about those that said they treated it lightly? What were they so busy about? Their worldly life. Yeah, he's like, I've got oxen to take care of. I've got lands to take care of. I've got even... My wife or family say, why Why is that so bad? What's that like in our life? How could we apply that to our life? I think anything that you are too busy to do the things that you should. So anything that might distract you from doing something that is more important. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that what we've been talking about with these gifts and the fact that we don't want to be getting caught up in just accumulating the temporal gifts or trying to take care of ourselves when really Heavenly Father is the one we need to depend on. If we are seeking after just accumulating stuff, those temporal things you're not going to take with you after this life. So what were the people that actually came to the feast? Who 
who were they? I mean, it talked about them being poor, maimed. What symbolically are those people? The humble in spirit. Ah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, they may not have millions of dollars, so monetarily wise, they're poor, but they have what matters most. Their character is right. You know, they have humility. Wonderful. What else? It even makes me think of the people that maybe have not had the greatest past, even like their past was a little more sinful, but now they have repented and they're really honestly seeking to become better and to follow Christ. Yeah. Exactly. Heavenly Father cares that we're trying, we're doing our best, that we're repented, not that we're perfect yet. That's where the Savior comes in. He makes up for what we lack. So what about that man who he comes to and he says, you don't have on a wedding garment? The, the wedding garment, like in the footnote, it talks about it being white and pure and righteous. What's that about? Friends, your sins weren't forgiven like Danielle was talking about. If you, if you didn't repent and you had a sinful past that you weren't washed clean. Yeah. You, had, you hadn't prepared to come to the wedding feast. You hadn't prepared yourself. Mm-hmm. Put forth some effort. Yeah. yeah, so you know those people had to be righteous still. So the, the money wasn't the object. I mean, that they were crippled or something, you know. It was truly that they were still righteous, but they had laid aside the cares of the world you guys see any connections with the parable of the ten virgins? Sure. So I think a lot of that, I guess mm. that story came to mind. And you saw the odds with that one. And the fact that, you know, half half of those virgins, they weren't ready. It's like maybe they were too busy that day to, to go get their oil or something that way. But they didn't have stored up that conversion and that testimony like we talked about. Or like how the prophet tells us to repent every day. Maybe for that, for a week, they didn't. They forgot to read their scriptures. They forgot to say their prayers. They forgot to repent. Yeah, it's so important that we make, like, all that we do, our eyes centered on him, that it's constantly a part of our life. Okay, so at the end of that, it said, Hence, many are called, but few are chosen. I'd like to read one scripture, and you tell me, what does that mean? Hence, many are called, but few are chosen. And this is found in Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, verses 34 through 40. Behold, there are many called, but few are chosen. And why are they not chosen? Because their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men, that they do not learn this one lesson, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven, and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. That they may be conferred upon us, it is true, but when we undertake to cover our sins, or to gratify our pride, our vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion, or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men, in any degree of unrighteousness. Behold, the heavens withdraw themselves. The Spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is withdrawn, 
Amen to the priesthood or the authority of that man. Behold, ere he is aware, he is left unto himself to kick against the pricks, to persecute the saints, and to fight against God. We have learned by sad experience that it is the nature and disposition of almost all men, as soon as they get a little authority, as they suppose, they will immediately begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. Hence, many are called, but few are chosen. So what does it take to be chosen? First of all, you have to be willing to accept the invite. Yeah. Put him first. Make that your soul life's mission. We saw righteousness was key. It's like if you... I mean, you can only serve God or man, right? Either you'll hold to one and hate the other or despise the other and you'll, you'll cling to the one and hate the other. It's, a, it's like we can't do both. We can't have our foot half in one and half in the other. It it doesn't work. Why? Because the Lord won't accept half people, I guess you could say, who are in between. The, he won't accept them into the celestial kingdom because they were following Satan. He will consider them as following Satan. Yeah. We've got to be all in with the Lord. So how could one apply that to our life as far as we've talked about missions? Say you had the mission to create beauty. We live in a fallen world. It revolves around money. How can you be like one of those that's chosen versus those that's giving in to Satan's counterfeit about having our world focus on money, your, you know, your world, your life? You can focus on on the part about serving people and do your best to, like, for example, if you have a business that you're creating something and you just do your best to look at the customers as as people and that you're serving them in some way yeah it's like the mindset you know one person um might have would be i want to build a really big business i want to make lots of money i want to make this profitable i want to be famous right versus a person who is fulfilling their mission their eye is single to god's glory they're looking at oh how can i help people like i wish i could just give this for free to everybody but unfortunately, we live in a fallen world and I have to buy products to turn mine into something. But I want to make the world a better place and help people. I feel like this will inspire people to turn to Heavenly Father. This is going to, um, like, in all we do, we should be trying to help lead people to Christ. And I think we will be one of those that's chosen. We keep our eye on God's glory and not give in to Satan's counterfeit to go seeking after worldly things and accumulating. We need to say, I only need this much. 
We don't go looking for huge profits, but we have sufficient for our needs, what we need to do, and our goal is to make the world a better place. What are some last thoughts you guys have? What's a take-home you have from this? Focus on other people. That that helps you be humble if you're focusing on the Lord and loving your fellow men. Um, something that I've been learning lately is, so I've been reading a lot of business books, or I should say listening to them, and there, there's just a lot of them that really focus on helping you to develop a big, profitable business. And I've noticed as I've read all of these that I, like, slowly started to think my business needs to be big and really profitable, right? And... And then I read um, one book where he hasn't really, like, taught anything in it yet. There isn't, like, any real doctrine, like, this is what you should do. But he told a story of, like, himself, of when he was a kid and his parents really wanted him to, you know, go to all the prestigious schools and learn the violin and the piano and do the best that you possibly can in school and just gain all all the money that you can like you go to college to gain prestige and to get a job that will make you rich and then right off right out of college he got a a really profitable job and and then right after that he he started a company and he and he got really, really rich. And and then eventually his company was sold for like millions of dollars. And basically he could have anything that he wanted in the world, basically. And he just kind of realized that like this isn't what happiness is made of. Like people always think, oh, when you have all this money, then you'll you'll be made and you'll be so happy. And he realized that that's not what happiness was and that it was really just the process and um, going to the work with other people and doing that hard work and it was fulfilling and he had a purpose and it just made me realize how much the world really revolves around money and Satan makes you want to think that money is so important. Like, that as value. And what I've just learned is that it's really not. Like, if if you become one of those people that has a whole ton of money, then I guess you'll just start to realize, or if you don't, you'd be very unhappy, I think. But you'll start to realize that money is not value. It's it's really not because um, there's so much more, you know, mm-hmm. and um, there's so much purpose to life that's not just money and making money and being rich so that you can have anything that you want. And just realize that 
that's something that I don't want to fall into. And so I was really, really glad that I learned that early on. And I didn't think that I needed to have a huge, big business. And that I don't want to fall into that trap that Satan lays for anybody. We we don't need to think that money is everything and that we need to earn a lot of money and just to seek for things in life that that have real true value and that you can take with you to heaven. So yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Love that. I think that type of person will be one that's chosen. One that was focused on serving God and his fellow man, loved God and his fellow man, and gave Heavenly Father the credit. I think that'll keep us from turning prideful if we're always acknowledging Heavenly Father is the one that's blessed us with it. He's given us that ability, all those things. Awesome. Thank you so much for your help. From these two stories, we can see how clever Satan is at his counterfeit in convincing us to get caught up in trying to accumulate temporal gifts and convince us that we should be buying and selling them. This distraction is to keep us from seeking after spiritual gifts, which are of most worth. The story found in Luke chapter 12 verses 15 through 31 comes to mind, where the Savior says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my gifts? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In our day and age, our big barns and grain might be likened to our investments and all the money that they hold. Have we spent this life busily trying to accumulate money, but neglecting seeking after spiritual gifts? If so, we will find ourselves very poor in the next life. Let's look at the Savior's moral of the story. Quote, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, 
How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye for what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Close quote. Did you notice he said that these things do the nations of the world seek after? We, his covenant people, are supposed to be different from the world. Babylon is a city focused on merchandise. Repeatedly, he tells us to come out of Babylon. Moroni tells us in chapter 10 to touch not the evil gift, nor the unclean thing. And awake and arise from the dust, O Jerusalem. Yea, and put on thy beautiful garments, O daughter of Zion, and strengthen thy stakes and enlarge thy borders forever, that thou mayest no more be confounded, that the covenants of the eternal Father which he hath made unto thee, O house of Israel, may be fulfilled. Close quote. We need to be one of those chosen people who comes to the wedding feast, poor in the things of the world, but rich in God with a wedding garment of righteousness on. Did you also hear how he was promising he would take care of us? He has shown and told us repeatedly. We saw him feed the Israelites every day with manna. And when they reached the valley, he told them he would still be taking care of them. The rain he would send would be the manna from heaven now. When missionaries went out to preach the gospel, he told them to go without purse nor script. He was essentially saying, I will care for your physical needs. You work hard doing those things that are of most importance, that of sharing the gospel. He will take care of our physical needs too, those temporal gifts we need, if we will trust him and go about serving him in our everyday lives, fulfilling the missions he calls us to do, and seeking after those spiritual gifts, the things which we can take with us to heaven. He tells us too, I will take care of you so you can work hard doing those things which are most important. There is Satan's counterfeit. God has offered us both spiritual and temporal gifts for the asking for free. But Satan has convinced us to make them things of merchandise. Nephi pleads with us, Come, my brethren, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore, do not spend money for that which is of no worth, nor your labor for that which cannot satisfy. Hearken diligently unto me, and remember the words which I have spoken, and come unto the Holy One of Israel, and feast upon that which perisheth not, neither can be corrupted, and let your soul delight in fatness. That's found in Second Nephi chapter 9. Verses 50 and 51. The spiritual gifts are the only ones we can take with us when we leave this life. So why are we spending so much time trying to accumulate the things that perish? Turn to the Lord to provide for our physical needs. Be content with having sufficient for our needs. And choose to go feast on the truly bounteous or fat spiritual foods the Lord has to offer. His spiritual gifts. He and Nibley in his book, Approaching Zion, where many of these thoughts come from, can explain in greater detail if you want to study more on this topic. 
Moroni, the last prophet of the Nephite civilization, pleads with us as he is writing his farewell address to deny not the power of God and to deny not the gifts of God. To deny is to reject. Just like the friends who are invited to the marriage supper, but who wouldn't come, if we reject the spiritual and temporal gifts of God, but instead buy into Satan's counterfeit that they must be bought with money, then we will not be worthy of the Lord's marriage feast. Yes, we live in a fallen world that has succumbed to Satan's counterfeit, but we can live in the world and not be of it. We will still have to pay money for many things. The Savior himself rendered to Caesar what was Caesar's. But we don't have to make that our main focus in life. Our goal is to seek first the kingdom of God. And to me, that means having our eyes single to his glory, keeping his commandments, and going about hearing his voice and fulfilling the missions he calls us to do. He knows that we need to provide for our families, and he will show us how. Our task is to keep our eye on the Savior and our end goal in mind of being like him. Paul teaches this concept to Timothy. He says, quote, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In Revelations chapter 18, John is shown a vision of this Babylon falling, the world of merchandise. It falls in one day, he says, and all those whose hearts were set upon riches, he sees weeping. May we not get caught up in the deception that with money we can take care of ourselves, but instead to remember that God is blessing us with everything we have. He is lending us breath from day to day. We are dependent on him. Remember his great goodness and mercy, and he will bless us with manna to eat and water to drink. It is my prayer that we'll turn to the Lord and remember we are all beggars, and to pour out our hearts and thanks to God for all he gives, and to abundantly give to our neighbor. May we also work hard seeking spiritual gifts and doing things that are of most worth to become like God and to serve him and his children. Doctrine and Covenants, section 6, verse 7 says, Seek not for riches, but for wisdom. And behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. Close quote. Eternal life is the greatest spiritual gift we can seek for. As it says in Doctrine and Covenants, section 14, verse 7, And if ye keep my commandments and endure to the end, you shall have eternal life, which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God. Close quote. The Savior has already paid the price for this gift and all other gifts through the priceless gift of his atonement. Our job is to not be deceived by Satan's counterfeit, but to come out of Babylon Lay aside the things of this world, and instead, keep his commandments, and seek for these gifts with all our heart, so we can be like him and serve him. I hope you'll join us next week for the final episode in the Armor of God series, as we see what the end of this battle looks like. We'll see you next week.